Hello and welcome to this edition of the Hacked Off podcast. I am your host, Simon Chapman, and I'm joined today by Sakama's very own uh, Jen Williams and also a very special guest joins us today, Jason Blake, who is the IoT Scheme Manager uh, from IASME. It's great to be here. Yeah, good to, good to have you with us. Today's conversation is, is loosely and humorously entitled, What's IoT All About? So that's um, something which uh, is an up-and-coming topic in many areas of information security and broader areas of IT uh, is the issue of IoT, IoT technologies, its impact on uh, technology, uh, on industry and, uh, and so forth. But maybe we could start, Jason, you give us a brief introduction to, to yourself and the work of IASME generally. Okay, um, so I've joined IASME recently as the new scheme manager for the IoT cyber scheme which we've put together. I come from a background of physical security and physical security audits at national infrastructure level. I find IoT, it's a very interesting topic because it's growing so quickly. I don't think even if you look 10 years ago anybody foresaw the impact that IoT would have even today. I mean I can count, I could probably lose track of how many IoT devices I've got in my house, whether it be music player from a large multinational corporation or a doorbell. <laughs> you, can say, you can say who is it, so <laughs> <laughs> Or a doorbell from the very same. Yeah. One thing that we, we see now with, a, I, with the scheme, we see all sorts of weird and wonderful devices that from smart pillows, I didn't know that was a possibility, <laughs> to business to business IoT devices such as moisture content monitors for farmers in the soil. So instead of having to guess and say, oh, well, about this time of the year we lay the potatoes, it's actually, is the moisture content right? Actually, now we can get the potatoes in the soil. Yeah, so, it's, so the impact is perhaps beyond anyone's uh, imagination, really. It's kind of limited only by people's imagination. Exactly. The, the weirdest one for me I've seen is we've recently certified a smart letterbox. Right. So the letterbox, it can shred device, it can shred junk mail, what you, it's not, if it's not addressed to you, it, it won't even allow the postman to put it in. So it's, yeah. there's a whole, like you said, there's no limit to the, to the things that we, we see with yeah, IoT. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember years ago there was, um, I can't remember which uh, university it was, it might have been in the US, and I'm going back some years now, and they were experimenting with a, a, what would now probably be called a smart device of some kind, a fridge that could detect what was being put in to it and taken out. And at the time it was widely mocked as being completely ridiculous, but now of yeah. course that sort of thing is a little bit passe, isn't it? We, we'll yeah. I think the thing with IoT as well is, like I say, there's no limit to the people's imagination and no limit to how they can adapt a device to, to make it smart to incorporate that into a device, and whether it be a washing machine, fridge, there is just, there's no limit to it. And we're yeah. seeing that with the numbers of IoT devices. But in 2022, there was 44 billion devices worldwide. They expect that to grow to 75 billion by 2025, which it, the rate that that's 40% increase in just a couple of years, mm. it is huge. Jen, what, what are we seeing at Sakama with our involvement in assessments for, for clients? Are we seeing a big IoT take up or deployment or usage? So when, when I originally started talking to IASME about the IoT scheme, I was wondering actually how many clients we were likely to get from our existing list that you know would value this certification. And just from a quick two-minute conversation with the sales team and, and passing on some of the suggestions of you know like the devices that, that Jason's just mentioned, the ones that maybe you don't immediately think of as IoT devices, I think we worked out that we've actually we're actually already working with a lot of right. IoT manufacturers now. I believe we've, we've even got some work going on in the next couple of days with a 
with an IoT manufacturer. Yeah. Um, so I think this is a case of, okay, we hadn't quite twigged how big this industry was and actually how many of our existing customers that we're already working with are producing IoT devices. And I think yeah. that, to me, hints at part of the problem, actually, is that even us as security professionals don't realise the extent of um, this industry. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of grown almost by stealth, hasn't it? It's no, no one set out to design an Internet of Things. In fact, I would humbly suggest that IoT is kind of a sort of journalistic device that's been, that's been created to, so we can sort of hang our hat and say, yeah, that's an IoT device. But I suppose it's probably worth backtracking slightly and exploring what, what do we mean by uh, IoT, what, what, what is the Internet of Things or what is an IoT device? Is it, is it a specific standard, is it a specific thing or is it more general? So it is quite a broader term, but the, the general rule of thumb is if it's any device that doesn't have a user interface, so like a laptop or a phone, for example, have the interface, uh, the washing machines and the fridges, they might have a very small limited one, but because they generally go to connect to either your phone or another device to gain access to the internet, that's the sort of loose-fitting term of right. an Internet of Things device, is that it doesn't directly have the an interface for a user to open up and go. So I guess you could say, in a way, it's completely new and innovative, and in another way, it's just, it's just a whole bunch of very, very small servers mm. um, that have an internet connection somehow, uh, that are monitoring something somehow, telling you, giving some data back to a collection points somehow. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Uh, it. It will connect to the network at one point, but it's already gathered the data from it, from itself before it does that. And again, it's just the, it doesn't allow for a user to just, like I said, just open it and go, even though the product probably does. The smart functions of that mm -hmm. require a little bit more information. So I guess that begs the question then, if these things are not necessarily specified in, in a particular, it's not a specific standard, what, why would we need a certification scheme? What, what does that hope to bring? So the UK is the f one of the first countries in the world to introduce legislation at a government level for how the data is securely transmitted from these devices. Yeah. We've incorporated that into our, into our certification so that at a glance consumers can know well actually that company is doing everything that he can to ensure our data is secure we've got two sides to asking baseline and assurance baseline is meets the three uk minimum requirements so the three requirements from uk law are no default passwords like admin or password or default secondly that there is a vulnerability disclosure policy so if there is if that device is subject to being hacked it's what does the company do about it? How do they disclose that to the customers? And they need to have that in writing before they can achieve the certification. And the third one is the period of which the smart functions are carried out by the manufacturer. So the product, the washing machine, might last 10 years, but what we've found so far is some manufacturers, it's somewhere in the terms and conditions of their small print, will say, ah, but the, uh, the smart features are only connected for up to two years. We're only going to produce software updates for two years. Right. So that's where our certification comes in and says, actually, we certify against that. Our certification says that if you're going to make a manuf and manufacture an IoT device, you need to support that device for as long as that product can do its job. Yeah. So that, for, for us, is a, is, a, is a positive with the where the IoT industry is going and the, the need for a certification for manufacturers not to take advantage of consumers. I've had this conversation with um, Which the Consumer Magazine and um, there was an article recently published in the, in the Guardian saying that the IoT devices are great but the manufacturers are abandoning them after a few years because they've moved on to the next thing, yeah. whereas our certification guards against that. 
Right. I mean, and we, you sort of see this as well elsewhere in the, in the, 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 the cybersecurity world where uh, unsupported hardware, unsupported systems is a kind of a, a real easy route to compromise effectively of, of, of data assets. And um, I guess, as you say, the, the, the small, unattended, almost disposable nature of these devices kind of makes them uh, dangerous in that yeah, regard if they get overlooked. Definitely. Jen, what sort of customers are we seeing you know, using IoT technology? I mean, what's, are there any particular sectors that are, that are prevalent or is it, is, it, is it broad? I think it's very broad, actually. Right. Again, from speaking to you know, our sales team and, and thinking about the clients that the Vism team have worked with recently, we've worked with a client that's involved in the introduction of smart cities and smart, yeah. ne smart networks within cities. I know we've looked at things like smart signage. Or again, some of these slightly out there products and companies that we maybe wouldn't think of immediately as yeah. being part of the IoT industry. And you know, I think Jason made the point before as well that you know, there's so many devices out there that I think it really is kind of crossing across multiple industries. Mm. I wonder if we'll get to the point where we look back on where we are now and say, oh yeah, that was kind of like, that was the Wild West era um, before anybody got a handle on this and, yeah. and you could just put devices out and who knew, who knew what they were doing and, yeah. and, and where that data was going. So I know a customer I spoke with recently um, who had a, an IoT, well, they're, they're a service provider in that general space really and they monitor things as esoteric as, as tree growth, um, which, yeah. is, which has an impact on the place where the trees grow because of you know, line of sight for communications or other, other, other genuinely need to know situations. And they, their, their main concern was the, uh, the security of the data that they collect because for them, yeah. that, was the, that was the essence of what they're selling really is that, is that data and that intelligence. Yeah, and um, that's the thing with like what I would say with our scheme is we delve into the documentation that the, these companies have got at the level two on a level two basis. We look at the documentation. The assessors will look at the device hands-on. How does it transmit the data? How secure is it? And that's where we've we've gone with it to make sure that this data is collected and it's, if it's going to be transmitted, it's got to be transmitted securely because we all, we've all seen it in the paper that oh, such and such business has been hacked and X amount of million customers with the data has been harvested. But what does that mean to people? Mm. People in, in the street, I think, will probably say doesn't mean a great deal. But actually, there is so much of that information that they really, if they knew a, the, um, the levels of information that people were getting, I think that that's where the concern would start to arise. So one of the, one of the concerns for me as a consumer of IoT is that it's the they're always on status of these kind of yep. devices, and actually you don't really have a say in the data that's being passed between your device and the infrastructure that it's sat on. And I think part of the need for a scheme like this is to give the consumer back a little bit of control. Yeah. I think uh, it, maybe it's disappointing from a from a security perspective that it, it would appear that in other areas of the broad IT industry where lessons have been learned over the years about how to securely make stuff. Um, you look at the big technology companies, you know, Microsoft's a good example, um, had a, a torrid time some yeah. some years ago with, with security issues and, and has since kind of reinvented itself as a kind of secure by default uh, design for a lot of their, their, their technology. It took a while for that to happen, but it, but, it, but it happened. And you think, maybe disappointing that IoT uh, manufacturers and producers haven't kind of recognised that. I think, well, we, we have an opportunity to, to implement the learning that's 
you know, already presumably taken place elsewhere and we can just reuse that. Do you, do you feel the sense of disappointment that we're, we are where we are? Yeah, I think that um, that's, the, like I say, there's the problem that cybersecurity becomes, as it becomes more prevalent, manufacturers are just thinking, we can, we can make this, we can have this idea and we'll produce this device. But like I said, the UK government are one of the first in the world, I think with the uh, Canadians and Singapore, I think are the only other places off the top of my head that have got this sort of legislation, but it is to, to guard against consumers being taken advantage of and to allow manufacturers to actually follow a, a set of standards that, w with technical controls, that the the consumer again can have that bit of confidence back in them. Actually, I know that what my, do my data is being passed, but it is secure. Mm -hmm. Do we think then that the benefit to uh, of, of a certification scheme presumably brings, brings benefit to, to, to both consumers and producers of, yeah. of, of technology? Is it sort of in favour of one or the other? Is it is it about protect, protecting consumers over? Um, I would say it's. I wouldn't say it's in favour of either. I would say that we we definitely allow consumers to say, well, actually, we know that this is this is this device is secure because it's accredited. But it's also manufacturers. I was I had a call the other day with uh, a company who don't manufacture IoT devices, but they work with forty different manufacturers, and they wanted to say. They asked about the scheme and what, what it was and what it entailed because they wanted to say to their manufacturers, actually, we only want to work with you if you're going to go and get this accreditation so that we can say we're doing everything we can. We only use devices that are secure so that it allows them to safeguard their supply chain. Yeah, okay. So, Jen, on the, from, the, from the assessment side, the assessor's side, yeah. what kind of skills do, do we need as assessors to be able to successfully implement audits and, and, and assess against a standard like this emerging standard? Okay, I think, is it probably worth um, explaining about how um, Sakam are going to work with IASB yeah. on, on this scheme at this point? A perfect opportunity. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> um, okay, so Sakam are already... Um, registered with IASME as a certification body to assess against the Cyber Essentials and Cyber Essentials Plus scheme um, and the IASME Cyber Assured scheme as well, which is you know, something we already work with lots of clients on. With Jason's help, we're going to be a certification body for the IoT scheme, meaning that we can actually assess the you know, security practices that you have in place against the IoT standard controls. We're going to be able to advise where clients don't maybe quite meet the standard on what they need to do to, to get there. And this is backed up by the rest of our VISM services. So VISM being our virtual information security manager services, which covers everything from, you know, we can actually draft the policies that the organisation might need to become compliant with the standard we can advise on technical implementations and we can fulfill that role of information security manager without having to be employed as an information security manager. There are going to be three of us um, who are trained to deliver and consult and assess against this scheme and hopefully provide that you know one-stop shop, if you like, right. for IoT manufacturers to be able to get this IASME certification. Right, okay. And do you think, I mean, we can talk about the, some of the controls that are, that are in the, the scheme in a little bit more detail in a second, but I was just wondering from your perspe perspective, Jen, is um, would it be that someone who's maybe already familiar with other uh, IASME schemes or things like Cyber Essentials, if they're already familiar with those, is, uh, can they build upon that with this sort of a Absolutely, process? Yeah. I think good practice and right. is kind of goes a long way to covering um, lots of the, the various requirements of the different schemes. I think we're probably naturally already quite well placed to help these clients by the nature of the other services that we we already provide and I'm sure Jason can talk a little bit more about the controls but for example there's a, a section in the standard around vulnerability management yeah and that 
pretty much the core of what we do as Sakama, which is why, you know, I think we're quite well placed to be able to help. Yeah. Um, help clients to achieve this scheme. Okay, I've, well, I think you've uh, teed Jason up nicely to uh, to come in on that. So, what maybe you can give us some details about the controls that are in the scheme and yeah, and, and, and the yeah, outline not not a problem. Um, so the biggest. One of the biggest baseline controls is that no smart device uses default passwords because with any area of cybersecurity, there's only going to be a list of so many default passwords that they can use, whether that be admin or password. That is one of the baseline absolute minimums that you can't do that, that, that can accredit to accredit to the scheme. And that's already part of the Cyber Central scheme as well, so okay. there's, your there's your first example of, yeah. a, of a crossover between the two schemes. Yeah. Yeah. And secondly, um, again, another baseline control is vulnerability policy. As an IoT device manufacturer, do you have a vulnerability policy? If you don't, we can provide. We prov there's a free template on our website. But again, like like Jen said, with Visum and, and the information virtual information security management side that you guys offer, that for me would be great that companies can come to you. It doesn't matter whether the company's one man with has had an idea with regards to a device, or a huge corporation can come to you and say, right, this is what we want. Does our do our documentation, does that all work and does that all fit in the scope for an assessment for an IoT accreditation? Right, okay. So it seems that this kind of accreditation uh, against this, this type of technology, it has, it has similarities to existing schemes and it, of course all these things revolve around what we laughingly refer to as common sense or best practice, um, which, you know, despite that never seems to be widely practiced or indeed... Uh, <laughs> also com common. <laughs> yeah, or common. But, um, but, but that's that's the way that is. Do you think that there are, there are maybe bigger benefits to this, or a bigger the, the bigger picture might be in terms of national security? Um, is there is there any point at which this becomes part of you know, securing critical national infrastructure? So f we've worked closely with the National Cyber Security Centre, the DCMS, to put together this scheme, so they are aware of it. The technical controls in it allow us to match up with the. Internet of, um, Internet of Things security framework, yeah. which is put together by the Security Foundation. That's all of their controls are within the scheme. ETSI, which is the European Union's controls, are all within our assured scheme. All thirteen of those, and that is considered as the highest worldwide standard. So it matches all of those. Moving to national security side of it, it was only recently in the paper that the that government cars had been booked by with IoT devices. Right which is a clear breach of national security. Yeah. And ag again, these devices can collate that data, whereas ah, it, it just beggars belief that, that that can still be allowed to happen in 2023. Well, I, I guess it I guess it does. Um, I, I suppose the longer you spend working in cybersecurity, the, the less surprised you are. Uh, <laughs> that is also very true, <laughs> yes. But um, I think it's I think it's fair to say that the the I would hesitate to use the word battlefront. It sounds a bit dramatic, but probably not dramatic, depending on where on where you what you do for a living. But the uh, the idea of of securing technology and technical infrastructure against either foreign nation state attack or just malicious other malicious actors is not quite as hard to believe as it maybe it was you know a decade or so ago. When it's widely known that that foreign uh, states hostile to our own uh, attack us on many fronts, and I guess this is another front. Yeah, I, IoT, like you said earlier on, is that you know if it's if some device that's been forgotten about by the manufacturer and is still in use in someone's home, people could attack that and then look at what, what data they can retrieve from that. Mm. And if if it's in one person's home, it's going to be in more than just the one. And at what point is it in a is it in somebody who's got that piece of privileged information that mm -hmm. they can? 
that somebody could hack into or attack and um, and exfiltrate that piece of information. Yeah. Okay. So, Jen, what, what would you say from speaking with our customers? What would you say that the the challenges are likely to be for those those customers in in meeting a standard like this, or indeed any security standard or level of of, of assurance? I think it's about getting that balance right between achieving the standard, understanding why you need to achieve the standard and making it part of business as usual. Where I see customers maybe go wrong with with schemes like this and with Cyber Essentials and with ISO 27001 is it they, f- they fail to make it part of business as usual. Therefore, right. it becomes an expensive, arduous, time-consuming task. Actually, if it gets properly embedded, which is, I think, where the, the VISM team can can really help it gets properly embedded into business processes it it becomes part of good business and actually can drive efficiencies in other areas of the business as well as just help to achieve a standard and that's something that i'm really passionate about is businesses still have to be able to trade as well as just be secure you can spend as much time and money as you like on being secure and actually kill the business in the process okay and actually if schemes like this if they're implemented well and implemented properly can be a, a help, helping hand as opposed to a, a blocker. Right. I'd like to second that as well because from, from our perspective, some of the controls in there are to do with data storage and how data is transmitted and, and policy documentation. So that goes hand in hand that actually to look at from an, um, when you've got to a point of manufacturing a device to go back and go, oh, we need, we need X, Y and Z putting in place. Whereas if you, make, if you do that at the beginning, it becomes part of best practice so that the device is built in a secure manner and that security isn't just something they've thought about at the end and gone, oh no, let's bolt it onto the end. Yeah. Presumably there's an impact as well to certified organisations on their insurance costs. Again, I can't, I, I don't know how that would, how that would translate, but again, it, for me that would be a natural progression that an insurance company would say, well actually, if your device is accredited then we know that you're doing these these best practices, these different technical controls. You're a lower risk to us. Yeah, yeah. so therefore therefore you are a lower risk. So that for me it would be something that I think that the industry will move naturally move towards because these devices are being attacked regularly. Insurance companies are going to go on oh, well, hang on a second, that's that's an expensive risk. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's happening already. So our clients are telling us about you know insurance costs going up and insurers actually directly asking, do you have Cyber Essentials or Cyber Essentials right. Plus? So surely that's a natural a natural step forward. It's, hard, it's not difficult to imagine a, a point at which, I mean, because I think it's fair to say that cyber insurance has been uh, not difficult to come by uh, up, and, up until recently, but that looks like that's, that's changing, um, possibly as insurance, as insurance companies do continually assess risk um, based upon, you know, what they're charging out of premiums and what they're paying out in claims. I mean, one of the schemes that I asked me often that's not my scheme is the Maritime Cyber Baseline Scheme. Right. And in that term, um, my colleague's been having conversations with insurers who are now looking at it and saying, well, actually, if you're going to certify a, a, this ship against a cyber attack, well, that ship's insurance then could be lower because, because of the fact that they've, they've done everything they can to operate with best, with best practice. Okay, so in terms of the, uh, the IoT scheme now, is this, is this is available now for people to it is. partake in? They can partake in it. They can approach uh, Sakama directly or they could come to the IASME website. It, it, they can, the question set, the technical controls that they need to certify against are free to download. You don't need to pay before you can access these. They're there for everyone to look at to say to see whether it's appropriate for the devices that they're making, what how it how it impacts them. But yeah the question set is is there, it's free. 
as is my email you know i'm i've always i'm always open to communications with with anybody that if they want to ask questions about the scheme questions about whether it's right for them or just questions in general about why we've developed the scheme my email is on the asme website to ensure that we have that open network of communication with people okay excellent um and you can find out all about what we do at sakama at uh, our website which is sakama.com and this has been a really interesting conversation I agree. Um, Thank you for having me. Thanks. It's been really good to speak with you, Jason. Thanks for coming along. And uh, thanks, Jan, for your contributions. And uh, that's it. That's all we've got time for, which is what you say when you you have things to say. (laughs) That's all I've got time for. (laughs) So thanks, everyone, for listening and watching. Um, See you all on the next instalment. Uh, Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you.